Dear Father in heaven, Father, it is a privilege to stand here this morning before your people, and we pray for the Holy Spirit. God, there's no way that I can communicate your message without your power, without your Holy Spirit helping me. And we do want to lift up Jesus. We want to understand the third angel's message. We want to understand the message of the righteousness of Christ. And so we pray for your blessing, please, Father, upon this gathering. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. 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 All right. I don't know if you, any of you read this story. There's the, uh, one of the pictures from one of the news agencies. It happened just, uh, just a few weeks ago. The date was June 20. It was a Friday afternoon at about 6 o'clock. And there were two, uh, two, two people, one lady named Melissa Morris and then Sean McGovern, and they were on a boat. And they were relaxing. They were taking a little, uh, little boat ride just south of Florida in an area called Key Largo. Their boat was about 30 feet, and we don't really know the details of exactly how it happened. But somehow, the two of them fell off together. And as they landed in the water, of course, they tried to get back to their boat as quickly as possible, and uh, the boat just sailed on. So there they were, way out in the ocean, you know, with sharks and jellyfish, and they had nowhere to go. And so they swam for a while, they treaded water for a while, but eventually that was getting tiring, and so they lay on their backs and they floated, and they floated all night for 14 hours. If you can imagine, there's the headline right there, a couple rescued after treading water for 14 hours off the Florida coast. Uh, the current took them north, as you can see the, the picture here, I guess my pointer's not helping me, it's too far away. But you can see they floated north, and uh, very thankfully to them, I, you know, I don't know if they were Christians or if they were praying people, but I'd be praying for sure. But thankfully to them, right before they entered the jet stream to carry them out, way out into the Atlantic, uh, they, they ran into a fishing boat, four deep sea fishermen saw something, they didn't know what it was, and they came over, and sure enough, uh, it was the two of them. And there's a picture of the two of them right after they were rescued after 14 hours of being in the water. And they're quoted as saying to the news, to one of the reporters, we're okay. We need to take care of what we need to take care of so that we can go home. So that we can go home. And I thought about that story and I thought, you know, there's a lot of lessons for us in that. Uh, the message of the righteousness of Jesus Christ is like a boat that God has sent to his people. He wants us to be on that boat, and that boat is going to sail safely to the heavenly harbor. But unfortunately, and I'll talk more about this as we go along, uh, many of us have fallen off of that boat. God sent a special message to us over a hundred years ago, and we have fallen off the boat. We are, many of us are are drifting, and I have been drifting in the past myself, and I praise the Lord that He's rescued me. And you could probably give the same testimony, many of you. Anyway, uh, we are, many of us are being pushed back and forth by the currents, pushed this way, pushed that way, and if we don't get on the boat, we're in danger of getting into the jet stream, so to speak, and going far, far away from Bible truth. And we certainly don't want that to happen 
to any of us. Uh, we all need to be rescued like those deep sea fishermen rescued that couple. And as that couple said, we just want to go home <laughs> after 14 hours in the water. And isn't that the sentiment of your heart? Don't you want to go home? Aren't you tired of this world? Aren't you tired of the sin and the pain and the problems and everything that we see all around us? Uh, my heart is longing uh, to go to heaven. I, I have a six-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son, and I've said this many times, that I surely hope that Jesus comes before my kids get into their teens with all the temptations that teenagers experience these days. Lord Jesus, come soon. So we're going to study the message of the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says, we already read there in verse 6, that Jesus is going to have a special name, and that name is the Lord, our righteousness. And I want to go through a series of major points this morning, and the first one is the importance of the message of Christ, our righteousness. This is not a minor subject. This is not just a, just a topic, one topic among, among many topics, like a smorgasbord. But here's a quotation on the screen from the writings of Ellen White, whom Seventh-day Adventists have a very high regard for, at least they should. And this is from the Review and Herald, December 23, 1890. It says, eventually, one interest will prevail. One subject will swallow up every other. And what is that subject? It is Christ our righteousness. So does that sound pretty important to you? You know, there's a lot of topics that we're dealing with in our church. Isn't that right? There's this subject, there's that subject, there's this uh, controversy and that controversy. But according to this quotation, eventually there's going to be one subject that's going to swallow them all up, at least for the people of God, and that is the message of Christ, our righteousness. Now here's another quotation from volume 6 of the Testimonies, page 19. It says that during the final hours, right before the closing of heaven's door, we're told that the message of Christ's righteousness is to sound from one end of the earth to the other to prepare the way of the Lord. This is the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel. Now, does that impress you? I mean, we want to be part of the closing work. We want to experience the glory of God. We want to lift up Jesus and be part of his final movement in this world. And that statement says that the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel is the message of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And these statements have impressed me. They've deeply impressed me that this is something very, very important. Now open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Revelation 14, verse 12. When you look at the book of Revelation, which many of us have done for many years, the heart of the book is the three angels' messages in chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. I've been studying these messages for years. They have gripped my soul. I remember one time when I first learned the Bible and first became a Seventh-day Adventist and I first started studying the three angels' messages. I was at my father's house in Studio City, California, and I remember tossing and turning on his couch and just sensing inside me this, uh, this calling. And it was almost like the voice of God was saying directly to me, Steve, I want you to give the three angels' messages. This is my calling on your life. 
are you willing to do it? And I remember wrestling back and forth, back and forth, and I finally, I finally looked up and I finally said, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. If that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. Now, if you go down to verse 12, which most of us know very well, and there it is on the screen, verse 12 is the conclusion of the third angel's message. It is the verse right before the second coming of Jesus, which, it, which is in verse uh, 14. There's another little verse sandwiched in between 12 and 14, but anyway, uh, verse 12 is the conclusion of the third angel. And it's a very simple, straightforward text, but we need to understand it and study it. And the Bible says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that do what? Right, that keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus. Now, I'd like to, based on that text, I'd like to present to you the fact that there are two major pillars of the message of the righteousness of Christ. And we're going to unpack this as we go along. Two major pillars. Pillar number one is the commandments of God. And pillar number two is the faith of Jesus. These are pillars that are in Scripture that are right there in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. We're living in the year 2014. We know that. Over 125 years ago, perhaps the most significant general conference session that has ever taken place among Seventh-day Adventists took place in the year 1888 in a location in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And many of us are aware of this. Some of us have been studying this for quite a while. Two years before that general conference session, Ellen White was in Switzerland. And she was traveling, and she had a conversation with an angel, with a holy angel. And it's very interesting what the angel told her. As, they, as she began to listen and as the Minneapolis conference loomed on the horizon in the sight of heaven, the angel made this statement. Take a look at this. This is from the 1888 materials, page 166. Said my guide, Ellen White is referring to an angel who spoke to her, there is much light yet to shine forth from the law of God and the gospel of righteousness. This message understood in its true character and proclaimed in the spirit will do what? It will lighten the whole earth with its glory. Now, I tell you, this impresses me. Doesn't that impress you? These are words from an angel of God bringing counsel from the throne, bringing instruction from the throne. And this angel said that there are two pillars that we need to understand. It says this message understood in its true character and proclaimed in the Holy Spirit will lighten the earth with its glory. And those two pillars are the law of God and the gospel of righteousness. That's what the angel said. If you study history, you'll discover that throughout history, the pendulum, so to speak, has been swinging back and forth between the law of God and the message of Jesus. In the time of Jesus, Many of the Jewish people, not all of them, but many of them said, we have Moses. We have Moses, and we don't know who this man is. And so they, they stood for the law, at least in their minds, but they rejected Jesus himself when he was right there in the flesh in front of them. 
If you go down 2,000 years to today, I think it's safe to say that uh, most of the time in the evangelical world, the pendulum has swung to the other side. And a lot of Christians are saying, we want Jesus, we want Jesus, but we don't want anything to do with the law, with the commandments of God. So the pendulum has swung over. If you look at Seventh-day Adventist history from 1844 down to Minneapolis, it's a sad fact that at one point Ellen White had to write, she said, we've been preaching the law and the law and the law until we're as dry as the hills of Gilboa. And that was right before Minneapolis, or right during that, during that time period. And so in Adventist history, we've swung over to the law, but I think it's safe to say today that in many circles, not everywhere, but in many circles, we've swung back over. And when we talk about the righteousness of Christ and the message of righteousness by faith and how important this message is, so many times, you know, people want to lift up Jesus, but they don't really want to focus on the law. Are you with me? The pendulum has been swinging back and forth, back and forth. And this angel said that the two of them must come together. And when they do, it will lighten the earth. Fast forward to Minneapolis. A man named E.J. Wagner was there at the general conference session giving a series of talks to our ministering brethren. And Ellen White was there in the audience, and she listened to Wagner speak. And there's a statement from Third Selected Messages, page 168, where this is what she said. She said, Elder Wagner had the privilege granted to him of speaking plainly and presenting his views upon justification by faith and the righteousness of Christ in relation to the law. Same idea. This was no new light, but it was old light placed where it should be in the third angel's message. So Wagner, according to Ellen White, combined the righteousness of Christ in relation to the law. Do you see that? Just as the angel said should be done. Here's one more quote right along those lines. Uh, the same 1888 materials, page 164. At the same general conference in 1888, Ellen White said, I see the beauty of the truth in the presentation of the righteousness of Christ in relation to the law as the doctor has placed it before us. That's Dr. Wagner. If our ministering brethren would accept the doctrine which has been presented so clearly, the righteousness of Christ in connection with the law, and I know they need to accept this, their prejudices would not have a controlling power and the people would be fed their portion of meat in due season. Ever since uh, 1888, there have been Adventists, which is the right thing to do, trying to figure out what is the message that was preached at Minneapolis. And I've done a lot of research on this. If you have an interest, uh, I have a book on this that the ABC has called God's Last Message, Christ Our Righteousness, which is the result of years of, and years of research that I've done on this topic. And I've come to the very firm, unmovable, unshakable conviction that the message that Wagner preached that we need to understand today is exactly what it says on that screen, that it is the message of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in relation to the law. The angel said that when we, when we combine them correctly and understand them in the, and preach them in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a tremendous burst of light that is going to come to this world. Now, here's uh, one more quotation about the two pillars. Now, listen to this. This just really uh, has also impressed me. This is, again, from the 1888 materials, page 783. Ellen White talks about the dangers 
of just preaching one pillar and not the other. She says, the law without faith in the gospel of Christ cannot save the transgressor of the law. The gospel without the law is inefficient and what? Powerless. Look at that. So if we, if we want to give the gospel and talk about Jesus and lift up Jesus, but if there's no law in that message, if we don't show the relationship of the righteousness of Christ to the law, the spirit of prophecy tells us that that message is inefficient. And she says it is powerless. Now, I, I don't know about you, and I would assume you would answer the same way that my heart does, that we need power in our message today. Isn't that right? And this statement tells us that if you just preach Jesus but don't have the law, she says it is powerless. The law and the gospel together are a perfect whole. The two blended, the gospel of Christ and the law of God, produce, and what do they produce? It says faith and love. How many of us need love in our lives? We all do. How many of us want to understand more the love of God? How many of us want to be part of God's last revelation of love to the human world before the doors above close? I think we all do. That's why we're here. That's why you're among the early morning group, you know, that get up to get here at 7 o'clock. Uh, your heart is hungry, and mine is too. Mine is too. And this statement tells us, again, that it's the law and the gospel combined that produce faith and love. That's what we need. We need, we need both. Most of us, I'm assuming, have two eyes this morning. And there may be somebody out there that, I don't know, uh, you might be blind. I just came from Mansfield, Texas and had a three-week series of meetings. The Lord blessed wonderfully and Naville Peter sang during those meetings. And I tell you, I love his sweet voice. And, you know, just to see him walk up to the piano night after night and have somebody help him because he's blind, he can't see. And the thing that touched me the most was when his little boy, who's just two years old, would run over to him, grab him, get on, on, uh, get on top of him, and he would hug him. This little boy would say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And, uh, you know, this man just loves his, his little boy. He's such a cute little kid. Navelle is his name. Little, they call him Peanut. And I just thought, you know, boy, Navelle, how wonderful it would be for you to have two eyes to see your boy. And one of these days he will. But anyway, my point is that God has put two eyes in your head for a reason. And you need both of them to see clearly. God has given all of us two hands, or at least most of us uh, have two hands, and we need both hands to work efficiently. God has given us two legs, right? And we need both legs in order to walk, at least the way our Creator has designed us to walk. Two eyes, two hands, two feet, two ears so we can listen. Uh, somebody once said the reason why God gave us two ears and only one mouth is so that we can listen twice as much as we talk. And I think that's good advice. That's good advice. The Lord wants us to listen. And as we listen to these statements and as we listen to the third angel's message that says the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus 
we have to understand that the heart of God's message involves two pillars, the law of God and the gospel of righteousness that go together. And the spirit of prophecy tells us that combining them together is what will produce faith and love, and it will help us to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Are you with me so far? Is this making sense? All right, now let's go to the next point. The next point is Satan's war with the message of Christ our righteousness. You think the devil is just going to sit around in the shadows and just let this message run its course in the history of our church and in the world? No. Now here's a statement, it's a little bit long, but it's so important I just had to put it on the screen. This is from First Selected Messages, page 234 and 235. This statement has also gripped me as I've studied the history behind this message and tried to understand it for myself so I could have the faith and the love that I need and to get ready for Jesus to come. Now there it is on the screen, take a look. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. That's a quote from Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. And then she says, in this scripture, the Holy Spirit through the apostle is speaking especially of the moral law. The law reveals sin to us and causes us to feel our need of Christ and to flee to him for pardon and peace by exercising repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what Galatians 3.24 says. And that was one of E.J. Wagner's favorite texts. He loved that text. And it showed that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus. So we can be justified by faith. Now, keep reading. Notice this. Look at it carefully and listen closely with both of your ears. An unwillingness to yield up preconceived opinions and to accept this truth lay at the foundation of a large share of the opposition manifested at Minneapolis against the Lord's message through brethren E.J. Wagner and A.T. Jones. By exciting that opposition, Satan succeeded in shutting away from our people in a great measure the special power of the Holy Spirit that God longed to impart to them. The enemy prevented them from obtaining that efficiency which might have been theirs in carrying the truth to the world as the apostles proclaimed it after the day of Pentecost. The light that is to lighten the whole earth with its glory was resisted and by the action of our own brethren has been in a great degree kept away from the world. Now, doesn't that stir your soul? I tell you, it just it stirs mine. Now, I don't believe that everybody back at Minneapolis rejected the message of Christ, our righteousness, and the preaching of Wagner. There were some that rejected it, some that didn't know what to do with it, and that there were some that accepted it. And so there's a whole history uh, behind this, and the same has happened from that point until now. Uh, the response has been mixed. But it's safe to say, based upon this statement, that in a great measure, we have lost sight of that message. And in a great measure, 
the devil succeeded in stopping it from really gaining full influence and power within our church. She says that the light that was to lighten the earth with its glory was resisted by our own people, some of our own leaders. And I want to again clarify these points that what was resisted was a truth. She says it was this truth of the relationship between the law of God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? She's very consistent in her, in her analysis of this history, and we can tell from this statement that the devil, I tell you, he's at war with this message. He's at war with it because the devil knows that if this message ever really is received and really uh, is taken hold of by the people of God, the devil knows that his days are numbered. And I tell you, he is, uh, he is very interested in keeping himself alive. He does not want to die. He wants to keep going as long as possible, and so he is at war with the message of God that is going to finish this work. Make sense? And that's what that statement says, that Satan succeeded in his efforts. And notice also, it talks about in the middle of that second quotation, that this message involves the special power of the Holy Spirit. You see that? The special power of the Holy Spirit. That has impressed me. Uh, it has renewed an impression just because of what happened in my family a couple days ago. I told you we were in Mansfield. My whole family was in Mansfield, Texas for three weeks, staying in a little hotel. We were holding a series of meetings at the Mansfield Church in Texas. Uh, the Lord really blessed. People just came out of nowhere and started coming to the meetings. Uh, and one particular man, I don't want to tell you the whole story, but he was baptized uh, last Sabbath, and his parents were there, and they had never walked inside a Seventh-day Adventist church before. And, and they, um, before the boy was baptized, the son in his 30s, his dad went on the internet, click, 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 and started researching Seventh-day Adventists and found a whole bunch of sites that were not good sites that are full of falsehood. And our, our ministry, White Horse Media, actually has a, a series called Agents of Satan. It's on our YouTube channel, which is designed to counteract the websites that are full of falsehood against us as a people. So if you ever want to get some information, it's called Agents of Satan. Anyway, uh, when this man was baptized, his parents finally decided, okay, we'll come. We want to see what our boy's getting into. And they were so moved by the whole church service, by the message, by the preaching, by the church members praying, by the baptism of their son, and by the study of Bible prophecy that I heard through, the, through this young man that his mother, first his dad was really moved very positively affected. And then the mother heard me preach. She heard me stand up with the Bible and, her, and I found out that her dad was a Baptist preacher. And her dad had not, uh, he was dead now, and she hadn't been to church for years. And she said to, uh, she said to someone, and that person told me, she said that, the, he, that this lady said when she heard me preach, I hear my daddy preaching from the Bible. I hear my daddy preaching. And when I heard that, I tell you, it just brought tears to my eyes. I thought, wow. You know, and I, I just, uh, and I want to hear my father speaking to me from the Bible. 
Anyway, that was a sideline. It wasn't even in my notes. But it was such a touching story. So when we left uh, Texas, we arrived back at our home. We hadn't been home for three and a half weeks. And man, we went to, our, we live in Priest River, Idaho. And we were so, the kids were so excited about getting home, getting in their own beds after staying in a hotel for three and a half weeks. And when we uh, were, were getting closer to the, to the house, we saw trees all along the road, Highway 2. And they had been uprooted, they had been cut off right in half, these gigantic pine trees. And we found out that there had been a terrible storm that had gone through the area just a day before. And when we got to our house, all the power was out. No power. So we were, we were disappointed and uh, we had to go down south to grandma's house, half an hour, late, half hour away, to hang out because we needed to take showers, we needed to, you know, have uh, electricity. And so we're there waiting for the power to come on hoping that the power comes on. And, and the Inland Power Company said, it, it'll be on hopefully by later on tonight. So I thought, good, I can go back. Now, of particular interest to me was uh, seven fruit trees that I had planted recently, and it was very hot, and they needed water. And I have a garden that needs water. And I thought, I'm just about to go to ASI, and I've got to water my fruit trees, or they're going to die. All the time and effort I put in these trees. And so uh, by Monday, I was hoping, Lord, please, turn the power on. No power. Monday night, no power. And now I'm getting worried. I thought, oh my, I need to water those trees. I want fruit from my trees. Please, Lord, turn the power on. And so uh, finally, uh, we got word late Tuesday afternoon that the power had been restored. So we quickly got our things together, drove a half an hour, got to our, our house, and one of the things that I did as quick as I could that evening was I took my hose and went out there and watered my trees. Because my trees, you know, you've got to have water or they're going to die, especially young ones, uh, in, in the heat of summer. And I thought about that, and I thought about the power, the special power that the spirit of prophecy says that we need. And I pray, and I'm going to continue to pray, that during these morning meetings, and for all of us, and for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, at least for those that are really, really seeking God, which is the kind of people we all need to be, that the Lord will turn on the power. And it's interesting that the power came on just in the nick of time, right before I had time to, to water and then to go to ASI. And I thought, Lord, it's like, that's like a lesson, that right as we get down to the wire, at the close of this earth's history, God is going to turn on the power, the special power of the Holy Spirit so that we can give the water of life to the world and by the grace of God, there will be a harvest of fruit, fruit which represents souls, souls for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Okay, a couple more, uh, couple more sections here. This next one is called the battle over the message of Christ our righteousness. We've looked at the importance of the message. We've looked at the pillars of the message. We've looked at the fact that Satan is making war on this message. Now here's a statement from Gospel Workers, page 161, that talks about the battle that's going on right now over this message. Look at this quotation. It says, if we would have the spirit and the power of the third angel's message, we must present 
the law and the gospel together, for they go hand in hand. As a power from beneath is stirring up the children of disobedience to make void the law of God and to trample upon the to trample upon the faith of Christ as our righteousness, a power from above is moving upon the hearts of those who are loyal to exalt the law and to lift up Jesus as a complete Savior. Do you see it? There's the battle right there. Unless divine power is brought into the experience of the people of God, false theories and erroneous ideas will take minds captive. Christ and His righteousness will be dropped out of the experience of many and their faith will be without power or life. Does that impress you? We're in a battle, aren't we? There's a power from beneath that is moving people to break the law of God and to trample on Jesus Christ. And we see that all around us. And there's also a power from above that is compelling and moving God's people to preach this very message. And I tell you, that power has gotten a hold of me. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm sharing this with you. That's why I've written my book. That's why I talk about this uh, almost every seminar that I hold, whether it's for our own members or for the public. I give it from the Bible. That's the battle that we're in. Now, in the time that I've got left, about 10 minutes, I want to impress you and I really can't do it, only the Holy Spirit can do it. But I want the Holy Spirit to work through me to impress you with your need for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we all have this need, it's a tremendous need. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 9 verse 31, and you might want to just turn and take a look at this, Paul in his great book on righteousness by faith, the book of Romans, in chapter 9, verse 31, he talks about the law and calls it the law of righteousness. Romans 9, 31, Paul says, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. And then he says, why not? And the answer is because they sought it not by faith. They sought it not by faith. So Paul talks about righteousness and he says that the law of God is the law of righteousness. And the reason why God's law is called the law of righteousness is because it tells us what's right and what's wrong. It's very simple. We need to know what's right and what's wrong today. Don't you agree? Steps to Christ, page 61, says, that right, says righteousness is defined by the Ten Commandments. Now, I've got five points here about the law of God. And let me uh, actually, I brought these a long way to show you this all the way for this moment. Oh, here we go. This is the real deal. This is the Big Ten, and this is not the exact uh, copy that Moses brought down from the mountain. But these are real, they're heavy, they're on stone and I carry these around with me or ship them to different meetings to stand up in front of audiences and show them how impressive, how impressive the law of God is. There's a lot of laws in the Bible and there's a lot of laws that men have made. But there's only one law that has ever been written, ever, 
by God himself with his own finger on two tables of stone, and that is the Ten Commandments. And this law is intimately connected to the third angel's message and the message of the righteousness of Christ. Now, I've got a couple of points here in reference to the law of God that I just want to communicate to you. Number one, according to Ecclesiastes, the last few verses, God's law is His standard in the judgment. According to the Bible and the writings of Ellen White, God's law, point number two, is a transcript of His character of love. If we want to know what God is like, at least in words, we look at the Ten Commandments. Now, if we want to know more of what He's like, we look at the life of Jesus who lived that law in human flesh. The law of God, point number three, is a prescription. Is it prescription or prescription? Those of you that are, uh, correct me on this. Phil, prescription or prescription? Is that a pharmaceutical? If you were to write out a prescription, is that right? P-R-E, okay, thanks. Uh, prescription. God's law is a prescription for happiness. That's what it is. It's God's standard in the judgment. It's a reflection of His character, and it is a prescription for happiness. And I tell you, that prescription, we need more than any drug that can ever be given by any doctor, as important as they may or may not be. The law of God is also a convictor of sin. It shows us what sin is. And according to uh, Galatians 3.24, the law of God is a schoolmaster that helps us to feel our need for a Savior, and it brings us to Jesus Christ. That's what Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says. Now look at this quotation. Christ's Object Lessons, page 318. This uh, statement has really moved me. It says, sad will be the retrospect in that day when men stand face to face with eternity. The whole life will present itself just as it has been. The world's pleasures, riches, and honors will not then seem as important. You know, all the honors of this world, all the honors that men can give, all the pleasures of life, all the things that we're, you know, we often seek so earnestly for, these things will be worth nothing on the day of judgment. Absolutely nothing. And then it says, men will then see that the righteousness which they have despised is alone of value. People will feel their need for that on the day of judgment when they stand before God, but by that time it'll be too late. They will see that they have fashioned their characters under the deceptive allurements of Satan. The garments which they have chosen are the badge of their allegiance to the first great apostate. Then they will see the results of their choice. They will have a knowledge of what it means to transgress the commandments of God. Does that statement impress you? We are living in the hour of God's judgment. The whole world is getting ready to stand at the bar of God. And the standard in the judgment is God's law. 
God's law of love, summarized in love to God with the whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. These principles are eternal. And one of these days, the world is going to stand before that law, and all of the lost are going to realize what it, what it really means to be a transgressor of the commandments of God, and they're going to realize, they're going to realize that there is something that was offered to them, something that was available to them, something that was, was there as a free gift, something that would bring the special power of the Holy Spirit into their lives. And they despised it, we're told. They rejected it. They didn't want anything to do with it. And that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His perfect righteousness alone is of value in the sight of God. We do not have the righteousness that we need in ourselves. We need righteousness from God. We need righteousness from Jesus Christ. And that righteousness is centered in the Lord. And that's what we'll talk more about tomorrow as we talk about the righteousness of Christ and how to receive that righteousness. Over 125 years ago, God sent Seventh-day Adventists a special message that can be compared to a boat that was built firmly and designed to take God's people safely into the heavenly harbor. Unfortunately, too many of us have fallen off of that boat or maybe we've never gotten in that boat. And for a long time, we have been drifting. And the currents are pushing us and pulling us this way and that way. And we see a lot of currents that are, that are uh, pulling in the world and in the church right now. There are sharks in these waters. And Satan's plan is to get us so far off track that we get into the jet stream, so to speak, and that we go far away out into the Atlantic Ocean of a world of sin and darkness and death, to use the analogy. But thank God that he has initiated a rescue operation. The Lord is a fisherman, and he's fishing for souls. He's fishing for you. He's fishing for me. He loves us. He wants us. He wants you. He wants us all. And his plan is to turn on the power as we approach the closing moments of Earth's history. God wants to turn that special power on, and that special power is the message of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And it's a powerful message. It's a life-changing message. It's a message of good news, tremendous good news. And it will, it can change and transform a human life. When I got off, I'm almost done. When I got off the plane in Grand Rapids, I flew from Spokane to Minneapolis to Grand Rapids on my way here. And last night at around uh, somewhere close to 10 o'clock, I got off the plane. And as I walked toward baggage claim, I was very touched to see a, a, little, a little boy that had gotten off that plane 
with uh, some other people, and that little boy ran down the aisle, or down the wherever he was, you know, he ran and ran, and there was an older man that was waiting for him, and this man just reached down and grabbed this little boy, and I'm assuming it was, uh, it was grandpa, and he just grabbed him, and he hugged him, and, he, uh, and, the, and the father, or the grandfather, I heard him right there, he said, oh, how I, oh, how I've missed you how I've missed you. And I thought about that and I thought, boy, you know, people are people. <laughs> Whether they're Christians or not, around the world, people have feelings. And there's no greater feeling than a parent to a child or a grandparent to a child. And, I, you know, those arms around that boy, I missed you. I missed you. And I think about Jesus as we're just about to pray. There's nothing the Lord Jesus Christ wants more than to put his arms around you, to put his white robe of righteousness, his righteousness, not yours, but his, and to clothe you with that righteousness, that spotless robe woven in the loom of heaven without any thread of human devising, and for Jesus to put that robe around you and to fill you with his love and with his special power and to get, get you ready for heaven. That's what the Lord wants for you and for me. Brothers and sisters, it is time to get into the boat. As that couple said when they were rescued, they said, we just want to go home. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we want to go home. We've been in this world for too long. You want to get us ready for heaven. You don't want us to stand at the end of the thousand years outside the new Jerusalem and to look up and realize that we're lost. We want to be saved. We want to be inside the new Jerusalem. We want to be with you, with our God, our God of love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness forever and ever. Lord, please get us ready. Bless these morning talks. Bless all the other speakers throughout this ASI convention. And please, Jesus, again, come soon so we can go home. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.